And we're live. This is Plant Daddy Podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Stephen. back with another plant profile this week and this is going to be an interesting episode because this is one of the few uber common house plants that i have had for years that matthew hasn't yeah this is nearly uncharted territory and we both have no idea how this will play out yeah it's gonna be super interesting (laughs) okay so the plant is dracaena marginata commonly called the dragon tree plant what is it why is it interesting why are we talking about this this week Well, in the past, you, Matthew, have not been a fan of these. Mm -hmm. You enjoy many furniture-sized plants that you can pick up at a hardware store, so it can't be the size or the utter saturation of these in homes or the houseplant market. So what has changed for you? Why now? I hope we can answer that today. Yeah, I am conflicted about this genus, to be honest. You know how some people make it to 30 without a tattoo, and then it sort of becomes a defining personality trait, and then they can't ever get a tattoo as a result of it? Okay, I feel like we've never talked about that specifically, (laughs) but I do feel called out right now. Um... Well, I have several (laughs) friends who are like that, and that is how I feel about growing Dracaena. Mm. You see them everywhere, and there's basically only like two or three flavors to choose from. Mm -hmm. They're great for low-light spots and neglecting client homes they just remind me of offices malls churches you know yeah. they're objectively attractive of course but not remarkably so so when i'm thinking of potentially enormous plants for specific spots around my home these are either never considered or only after exhausting every other option and even then i've always found a plant that i feel better about and like more for those particular corners okay yeah trigger warning in case these are your favorite plants I really don't like Dracaena enough to commit the space to them. And nearly every other plant that I grow, from like the dirt cheap, common as hell, neglect proof ones to my most rare and fussy, coveted status plants, they all appeal to me more than any of the Dracaena that I see for sale anywhere. Okay. Um, thank you for your honesty. <laughs> you know, but really, that doesn't strike me as incredibly controversial, actually. Okay. I really appreciate this plant. Uh, There are many passionate plant geeks who love, you know, quote-unquote common species or genera like pothos enthusiasts, Tradescantia fans, but I can't say that I've ever heard someone say they're passionate about Dracaena marginata specifically. Yeah, it's it's like spathophyllum that way, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I'll be honest, I do have a rare species of Dracaena, Gouldiana, that I've mentioned a few times recently on the show, and it was a top wishlist plant for me. I spent month after month lurking on eBay and checking inventory of online plant sellers before I finally managed to get my hands on it, and I'm really thrilled because it's doing great right now. Okay. I also recently grew another species, Dracaena circulosa. That one looks more like bamboo or a gold dust croton that just has a really terrible form. Uh, mm. But it doesn't look like a typical Dracaena, and generally the typical Dracaena are background filler foliage plants to my taste. They're absolutely great choices for many people and many places in a home or public space, but just not me or mine. Okay, Um. so in the spirit of getting you on board here, where's this one from? Any taxonomical tidbits for us that you got excited about? Oh, well, I'm so glad that you asked because they are exciting. Dracaena <laughs> is a genus in the Asparagaceae family, and I feel like we have talked about this family quite a lot recently, and it's kind of becoming a low-key favorite of mine. 
We most recently discussed it when we covered Silver Squill, one of their distant relatives. But it's one of those genera, and actually families, that has gone through a tumultuous taxonomic history recently. Mm. Yeah, Dracaena has shifted between several families in the past, like Rosaceae, Draciniaceae, Agaveaceae. I actually don't think that any of these exist anymore properly. Hmm. And most noteworthy and recently, Dracaena has been expanded to include the former recognized genera of Sansevieria and Pleomeli. Okay, so it has some taxonomy drama going for it. That yep. should pique your interest. Um, <laughs> the species we're more or less focusing on today is from Madagascar, I think. But how widespread is the genus geographically? Well, there's about 120 species, mostly found in Africa, Southern Asia. They extend into Northern Australia. Okay. There's also two native species in Central America. Honestly, with the taxonomy shifts, however, I don't really know if this approximate number includes the Sansevieria, so take it with a grain of salt. It's a ballpark figure. Now, they are classified as trees and succulent shrubs, but for the vernacular purposes of this show, we are just going to continue defaulting to using Dracaena to discuss the familiar varieties of upright tree-like plants, and Sansevieria to refer to the rhizomaceous snake plants that everyone's familiar with. Yeah, and I think that's how it goes in most plant circles still. Yeah, we're just treating the former Latin names like common names at this point, and it's totally fine. Yeah. So the name Dracaena itself means female dragon, which I kind of like, and several species in the genus actually actually have a red resin that's called dragon's blood and several other completely unrelated plants produce dragon's blood as well historically this has been used in applications for medicine incense varnish to dye that's kind of interesting actually i can't say i've noticed any red resin on my plant right and that's because the varieties that we're familiar with as house plants are not the ones that produce dragon's blood. Uh, okay. Yeah, but the name dragon tree is often still applied as a common name, like for the one that we're focusing on today, the Madagascan dragon tree, Dracaena marginata. This is the smaller of the two most commonly cultivated Dracaena, with a cane-like growth habit ending in dense plumes of many narrow, like, classic green grassy leaves edged in red and there's a common variegated form with some faint white striping to the inner part of the leaf you're not going to mistake this one for the other common species dracaena fragrans which is usually called the corn plant this one has much wider strap shaped leaves that droop and hang a little and there's many different colored stripy variegated forms of this one. right i think most of us have seen those okay. absolutely yeah so when did you start growing this plant? What approach have you taken? Do you have an answer for this or a guess? Uh, kind of. I, I mean, okay. the first Dracaena that I grew were all box store tropicals that I just bought on a whim as I was just starting to get into the houseplant hobby. Mm -hmm. And this is basically when I developed my own personal buying power when I got my first job at an ice cream shop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't remember anything particularly noteworthy or significant about these plants that I may or may not have bought and don't remember mm -hmm. other than the fact that I don't have them anymore and today I can count on one hand the times that I've considered getting a new one since I was of legal drinking age pretty much. Mm -hmm. They were also all cultivars of Dracaena fragrance because my taste even at that time was more about broad tropical foliage and less about spiky grassy foliage uh, which is what sets the Madagascan dragon tree apart. Okay I had not thought of that zero surprise there. <laughs> um, right. Yeah this foliage is really on my side of the spectrum like not broad at all spiky like you're saying okay yeah exactly now i imagine that i treated them like any other foliage plant that i was growing at the time they probably got too little light and alternated between too much water and then excessive drought mm -hmm. i bet you that those plants all died of desiccation after i drowned the root systems and then failed to water them while they were trying to recover but 
Tell me about yours, because you've mentioned it on the podcast a few times. It has a great history in your life. And I have to admit, I have enjoyed watching yours grow up more than I expected I possibly ever wow. could have. Uh, okay. And honestly, I think I appreciate mine more since you started noticing it and commenting, <laughs> causing oh. me to start to notice it more. Um, I'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, this is my absolute oldest plant now. I bought it at Ikea. I've had it for at least a decade, well before I was a plant person. And to its credit, it has put up with hell it's pretty much flourished well you say put it through hell but at least as long as i've been aware of this plant in your home you have given it good west window exposure and it's always looked as nice as they are able to look um yeah now that you're saying that that kind of does remind me of this misunderstanding when i first started keeping plants thinking that you know the best light was artificial light like let's not go down that road but maybe they're <laughs> i'm not remembering quite correctly you're also a total outlier in that regard but whatever <laughs> Yeah, anyway, when I moved to Seattle, it was kind of a last minute cross country move. I just brought clothes with me basically. So mm. I furnished my bedroom in this single, very memorable IKEA trip. Um, yeah, this Dracaena was one of the accents I chose, I guess. I don't remember any feelings or even thoughts about it. I really just threw it into the shopping cart, you know, at the end of that long, like, Ikea journey where they try to, you know, like, yeah. sell you extra impulse things at the end. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for the first several years, it sat in, I would say, reasonably sunny spots in, like, typical, absolutely unamended off-the-shelf potting mags from the grocery store, probably. <laughs> Uh, I watered it only when it was very dry. Often I would only remember to water when it started to really wilt and sag. So that's kind of a good quality. It's one of those convenient expressive plants that will tell you when it needs water fairly dramatically. But I would definitely push that, like leave it while I went on multi-week vacations and just kind of water it when I got back. And mm -hmm. most of the sagging foliage would spring back to life, carry on like nothing had happened, which is great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so from there, I slowly moved it to larger pots and i remember it being incredibly root bound at least twice like wrapping around and around i had to kind of tease them apart i'm sure i really you know stress the roots but mm -hmm. uh yeah at, at a certain point i moved it to a large terracotta pot and then it became you know like i like to say furniture sized in my mind <laughs> and it's been in that 12 inch pot for the last couple years and it's grown into this large sort of naturally and pleasantly leaning miniature tree with five branches now and i really kind of enjoy it yeah um, nice. i'm as surprised as you maybe <laughs> anyway so care advice i'm kind of having fun telling this plant's life story right now but <laughs> if i sum up care it's basically bright and direct light or possibly direct if your sun isn't too intense where you live i would water infrequently i would wait for it to dry nearly completely honestly mm -hmm. uh maybe fertilize once or twice a year I started doing that later in its time with me, and then I think I only did once per year. I have never noticed any clear growth boost after doing that, like within a reasonable time period that I think it would be tied to the fertilization necessarily, but you know, mm -hmm. um, it seems to have helped. Okay. So if I sum this up, it, this is a great example of a plant that thrives on neglect, like truly, and it's a great choice for someone's first plant, maybe. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like it. Yeah. So is this a plant that others are growing in dramatically different ways from how you just outlined? Well, yes and no. No, in the sense that I haven't seen a significant segment of people growing this in semi-hydro or something that we would typically include in this section of the discussion. Mm -hmm. But yes, in the sense that this is a common starter plant, 
so it's put through all sorts of probably unintentional experimentation or abuse by probably well-intentioned new plant parents and it usually seems okay so yeah so i definitely walked into preparing for this episode with the idea that i know i can grow these just based on instinct and the general tips that i've come across without trying to specifically learn about dracaena so when i deliberately sat down to see what the internet and plant people had to say about this one in particular I was, you know, this is not an uncommon occurrence. Yeah. I was surprised at how scant and shallow the care information actually is, as well as like the mm -hmm. botanical background of this plant. There's not even a Wikipedia page for this species on its own. Oh. And I'm not even confident in saying that these are entirely native to Madagascar because I really couldn't confirm that anywhere that felt truly reliable. So that, that is surprising. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're probably from Madagascar. But who knows? Huh. The sense that I got, though, is that the typical write-ups that I was coming across with this plant are essentially the closest to a one-size-fits-all houseplant care guide that you could possibly offer that is still very useful. Yeah... I would concur now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. So like the common tips included that these love humidity. They should be protected from direct sun. You should allow them to dry at least through the top couple inches of soil. They offer the temperature parameters that are naturally just sort of the conditions most people have in modern insulated homes. Mm -hmm. And they frequently know that these are not picky about their light level, though they're going to grow more slowly in the lower limits of low light. This is basically the sort of plant care that applies to the majority of box store inexpensive ubiquitous plants. So yeah, you're going to be successful following these guidelines for a plant that is as adaptable and resilient as Dracaena's. Yeah, you know, some of the articles or videos I saw felt like they were looking for tips to provide for challenges that kind of don't <laughs> exist. I realize the irony, we are making an episode about Dracaena, but you know, uh, you yeah, know, we're going to do better than that. <laughs> I <know>. Now, <laughs> I feel like I might be going out on a limb of hubris right now. So Huh. confirm or deny as you see fit considering that you've had a decade of time spent with this plant okay. but i think that the humidity requirements are totally overplayed for this species if you can grow any other foliage plant successfully indoors dracaena marginata is going to be fine without any additional humidity provided for a number i'd say you're safe well down into the 30 percent range i would totally agree there i mean you heard the story i did not manage very actively any part of this plant's care for, uh -huh. for years and years but um humidity the very least so it was fine for years living near a humidity meter that frequently said it was in the 30 percent range i feel like that's probably what you're citing it was probably in view when you were there right i have seen your hygrometer <laughs> <laughs> okay now while they might not be able to tolerate direct full sun all day in the hottest climates especially if you're growing them outdoors I feel like you can acclimate these to extremely bright and even some direct sun. Here in Seattle, I would still avoid midday sun during the absolute hottest and driest parts of our year, but direct sun in the morning or afternoon seems to be preferred, and I imagine this is going to remain true even in significantly sunnier climates, provided that your plant is allowed to adjust to these conditions rather than just being like thrown into them after living in a dark corner. Yeah, and I wouldn't even fear midday sun here in Seattle, at least. Or, you know, like you said, if your your plant is acclimated to it, not just thrown into the spot. Yeah. I haven't tried that myself, but I just feel like my plant was always reaching for more light, even in its relatively sunny spot, so. Yeah. Now, lastly, and you've already noted this, they can go absolutely bone dry for periods of time without suffering mm -hmm. really very much at all. Yeah. They should never be kept perpetually wet, and they do require well-draining soil to avoid saturating and rotting the roots because they are susceptible to that. But if they weren't very flexible with their watering needs, they also wouldn't have the perpetually enduring presence that they have today everywhere from malls to offices to private homes. 
they're everywhere. Agree for sure. I, I've never had mine in soupy, wet conditions, but I did see some videos online suggesting much richer, moister soils. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen one thriving in those conditions firsthand, but I would not put it past this plant. It's pretty hardy. Yeah. This always has to do with your particular conditions too. Of course, like if you live in a place that's hotter and drier, you could play with soil that retains more moisture, like, you know, most of the plants we cover and what we keep saying. Yeah. I think that the adaptable reliability of the Madagascan dragon tree lends itself brilliantly to home growing because yeah while i've not seen people do these in semi-hydro i have absolutely seen them growing in wildly varied conditions in public spaces in my friends homes Mm -hmm. and honestly they all look roughly equivalent in terms of health and appearance the only other different care that comes to mind is pruning and shaping that you can do with these oh yeah because they're so tough you can prune pieces off make tiered sorts of displays even in a single pot by just like rooting the cuttings directly in the same pot you can also shape branches in bonsai like fashions even into interesting sort of curling shapes that Mm -hmm. are not its natural straight up or leaning growth habit. Am I recommending any of these? It's not really my taste, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'd not seen that this is done on this plant until I was researching this episode, but it absolutely reminded me of the tortured lucky bamboo that's forced to grow in spirals and so forth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, in case this is news to you, lucky bamboo are actually cuttings of Drusina sandariana just grown in water. They have nothing to do with bamboo besides just a passing superficial resemblance. Yeah, I only found out about this a few years ago, and I was shocked. Like, this is well into my plant hobby. Maybe these deserve their own episode, Matthew. These poor, incredibly resilient things. Mm. Okay, back to Marginata. Yeah, so like Stephen, for my own personal taste, I don't tend to want highly manicured, topiary-esque plants in my collection. And that's just because I prize a plant for its natural form most of the time, just like you do. But I did see examples of Dracaena Marginata that seem to have been wired like bonsai into these candelabra forms, almost like a spalier. Mm. It was really kind of a striking presentation, even if if not for my home. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen them shaped into these more like organic but whimsical sort of sprawling tree forms that are quite different from the upright canes that they'll just naturally develop on their own. I'm not going to be doing this with any that I might grow, Mm -hmm. but it certainly made me think of ways that you can manage and shape your Dracaena if that's a vibe and style you're going for. Yeah. So have you heard of any common frustrations or issues with this plant? We did kind of laugh about how the care guides are like looking for problems that don't exist. So let's see what comes up. Um, Yeah, I don't feel like I've had many struggles with this plant myself or maybe any even, Mm -hmm. but there seem to be a few that I keep seeing mentioned. The biggest is dried leaf tips and leaf margins yeah yeah the very tips of the leaves can get brown and crispy while the rest of the leaf looks absolutely fine i think in many cases you have to really look to even notice it so Mm -hmm. i actually inspected my plant i measured it i have some 12 inch or 30 centimeter leaves and the last quarter inch so not even a centimeter is brown on several of them, especially the older leaves. Mm -hmm. I do not have a traditional relationship with foliage and foliage plants. Many regular listeners probably realize that. But for me, I don't even find this noticeable unless I'm really looking very closely at individual leaves. None of my new growth has it, even after a couple, I mean, several months. So, yeah. Yeah, this is one of those things that some people find really concerning. And I imagine that it's probably largely newer plant parents who are Mm -hmm. just 
seeing this develop and they're concerned that it might be a sign of something more significant. Yeah. But I really just kind of take it in stride as a reality of a lot of my plants, particularly ones with grassy narrow leaves like ponytail palms or real palm trees. Mm -hmm. And also these, uh, it's not that big of a deal really. And if it gets to the point where I notice it at a glance, I just take some scissors and trim off the brown tips for a temporary resolution. Mm -hmm. This is mostly cosmetic. When I make these cuts, I actually leave a very small amount of the brown remaining to you know prevent it from continuing to spread faster it will continue to spread up the leaf uh very very slowly in most cases yeah but if it's not just you know racing its way up towards the stem of the plant it's really nothing to worry about and if it's only on a few leaves here and there i really do not sweat it you can also just trim the whole leaf and move on it's totally fine yeah and i would also offer that if there's an issue you'll probably see entire leaves drop before you'll see them brown from the tips yeah right? Right? So yeah. I think you'll get other warnings if there, there's really some huge issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked for solutions to this anyway. The suggestions I found online were kind of all over the place. Um, not surprising, I guess. The most commonly blamed reasons I saw were mineral buildup from impure water or over-fertilizing mm -hmm. or underwatering or overwatering. <laughs> That's so helpful. <laughs> Yeah, so if I have to weigh in, I feel pretty comfortable ruling out impure water. Mine's only had Seattle City water for years now, which is pure enough to grow sensitive carnivorous plants just right from the tap. Mm -hmm. I also flush this one enough. I've had it in quality soils, at least for the last several years, so I don't think buildup should be an issue either, really. Matthew, you said you found something about maybe fluoride buildup doing this? Yeah, I've read consistently that Dracaena are sensitive to fluoride, as well as mineral and salt accumulation, like you said. But this is certainly going to be a regional concern for a lot of people based on the quality and additives in their tap water. While we don't necessarily worry about this with our local water source, I think it is definitely worth being aware of just in case your water happens to be more heavily treated or has a higher amount of dissolved minerals, for instance. Yeah, and maybe it sounds like a lot, but if you're serious about trying to improve your foliage, it might not feel like too much to water these with distilled or purified water from the grocery store because, yeah. at least around here, those gallon jugs are typically just a dollar these plants don't need to be watered so often so it might just cost a few dollars a month to kind of get that peace of mind mm -hmm. just a thought yeah and you know if the browning leaf tips seems extreme on your plant like more than the level that we can just kind of ignore and accept mm -hmm. in addition to switching to a purer water i would start by flushing the soil to reduce mineral and salt buildup to do this, I just put a plant in the sink, bathtub, bring it outside even, and I just water it really, really heavily, letting the water flow through the substrate freely. And I'll repeat this a few times to help dissolve and remove any accumulation that's built up. Okay, you left out showering with them this time. <laughs> I feel like you're beginning to edit yourself. Uh, I like this new rated PG version of our flushing advice, though. I have to tell you, I have never been, you know, unclothed in the shower when I'm hosing my plants down. I'm always out of it. Okay, I shower without clothes. All right, so I <laughs> oh. will not be blamed for thinking that. Okay, we're Let's moving on. on now. Yeah, the, well, this leads me to a sort of meandering point that I don't have a full scientific understanding of. Okay. But if you're interested to learn more, hopefully this gives you just an entry point to look into it further. Which is in the spirit of our show, I would argue. Okay. Yeah, very much so. And you know that I like these kind of like educational side shoots. Okay. 
So Miles has told me, and I've read this other places as well, that monocots in particular are prone to leaf tip burn through just the mechanics of how water and nutrients move through the cells and tissue of the plant, leading to the assaults building up in the tips of leaves, and this is what causes the browning. You see it the most on older leaves that have been accumulating salts longer, so don't look at this and assume that it's caused by low humidity. That is a very common misdiagnosis, and it's really not going to remedy the issue in this case. Hmm. So, as you might recall from high school biology class or something, flowering plants are either monocotyledons or dicotyledons. These are commonly shortened to monocots or dicots. Mm -hmm. And it basically describes that the seed has either one or two embryonic leaves known as cotyledons. Think back to times that you might have grown beans or marigolds from seed. The first two leaves that emerge are the cotyledons. Mm -hmm. These are dicot examples, and the veins in their mature leaves are referred to as reticulate to describe how they're arranged like intricate netting. Plants like grasses, most bulbs, the asparagus family, and palm trees, for example, have one cotyledon, and their leaf veins run parallel. There are many other characteristics that define these large categories of flowering plants, but this is just an example of basic plant physiology that can help us to understand why certain issues may occur in some plants more than others. Uh, that's really interesting, actually. It, it has me looking around my place right now for monocots with dried leaf <laughs> tips. Not, not something I thought I would ever say out loud yeah so. well and then while we're on this educational tear and before you make me stop and move on okay. another interesting botanical aside is that dracaena as a monocotyledonous plant uses a different mechanism to achieve sturdy rigid stems that allows them to become tall and tree-like that we don't see in dicotyledonous plants that become woody shrubs or trees Okay, this sounds familiar, actually. I have hacked into a dead Dracaena fragrance before. Um, it was sort of mushy and flaky, definitely not woody, and I did wonder about that. I want to know more about that story. Why were you hacking into... Listen, I haven't told you about all the Dracaena I've had, okay? Just this <laughs> Okay, okay, well, we'll move on. Um, I actually grow a yucca outdoors, and it had some cold damage over the winter a couple years ago. Some of its canes died back, and I was surprised at how... I would describe it as fibrously spongy they were when I got around to clearing out the dead growth in the spring. So again, I don't understand the actual like cellular mechanisms at play here. But the interesting part that I wanted to share is that to allow continued tall upright growth of a large plant, the meristem of the trunks and stems has to reinforce itself enough to support the growth and weight of the tissue. So Dracaena have developed the sort of secondary thickening to the meristem of the trunk that's sometimes referred to as Dracaenoid thickening. And we also see this in other members of the family like agave and and perhaps the yucca that I just mentioned is another example of this within the Asparagaceae family. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career 
where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, I'm hearing the high school class bell ring <laughs> on to pests. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so to continue with challenges, I would touch on pests here as well, but I've never actually had a pest problem on mine, thankfully, mm. even when there have been spider mite outbreaks on plants right next to it. So I feel confident calling this one relatively pest-resistant indoors. Yeah, I think it's always important to keep an eye out for pests on all of your plants, just because mites, scales, spider mites are regularly mentioned when discussing Dracaena. But it's really good to hear that in your experience, this has not been a factor. So I think that it might be obvious, but like we see with other plants, slow growth or floppy, weak leaves and stems, mm -hmm. these are all signs of too low light. And while Dracaena marginata is likely to keep doing its thing in many poor conditions, you should just pay attention to your plant and how it responds to its environment so that you can either increase the light for faster, more compact, upright, spiky growth, or find a balance of medium light that gives you a looser, benignly etiolated look that you might also find appealing. I've seen a lot of photos of mature plants that people have grown up mm -hmm. with like draping leaves that are quite different from the stiffly upright ones that you see when you're shopping for these in person. Yeah, and that's kind of how mine is now. And I really like it. It's less rigid and like we're saying, kind of topiary feeling, mm -hmm. a lot more wild, natural looking. Um, so I like it. Yeah, and your plant has literally single-handedly uh, single leafedly Grown. piqued my interest in this plant and it's really inspired me to imagine how that aesthetic could work in my urban jungle of generally very different looking plants oh okay good all right anyway to wrap this up why do we think it's popular well i think it's because it's incredibly hardy like we keep saying mm -hmm. it's easy to grow in typical indoor conditions seems pest resistant and it's also incredibly easy to propagate. Neither of us has tried this actually, probably because they're so easy to find and cheap to buy near us. But I saw a lot of videos online showing growers just cutting off the woody parts of the plant, sticking them right into the soil that looked pretty wet. Mm -hmm. No waiting for them to callus or treating them with fungicides like you might with succulent plants. We haven't tried this ourselves, but it seems that easy. Yeah, but my mom has tried this. Oh. She grows one that started as like a florist group planter with like an African violet and a Diffenbachia. And this was gifted to her by a colleague. And in the years that she's had it, it's lived on the living room mantle. This is a few feet away from a west window that always has sheer curtains over it for privacy so it receives no direct sun just bright ambient light that's not nearly strong enough to get flowers on african violets or phalaenopsis hmm. and as it gets too tall she just clips the cane back about half length crams it right back into the soil and it roots without any trouble while the severed cane sprouts new growth and continues growing okay well there we have it that is great news if you want to propagate yeah it's now a nice tidy little pot and i specifically asked her a bunch of questions about this yesterday she's never let a cutting callus before sticking to the soil or treated it with anything like cinnamon for you know antifungal protection or rooting hormones so Every single one has actually rooted and taken off over the years that she's done this. It's been a 100% success rate. I don't know her watering routine exactly, mm -hmm. but I know my mom and how she takes care of plants. So I assume that it's allowed to dry partially and probably sometimes goes fully dry between waterings. Okay. 
Um, I would throw in here too, I think the slow growth might be a reason they're popular, actually. Mm. If I try to remember my pre-plant person days, I think I actually preferred plants that didn't grow quickly and change quickly and need more from me all the time. Um, I wonder if I would have kept it if it had outgrown its spot on the coffee table super quickly or if it had needed a new pot each year or, or what. Yeah, that's a good point because in theory... I feel like we all love the concept of a fast-growing plant, like a really vigorous species that we can have in our homes. But yeah. in reality, that means that you're going to have to be managing it with pruning regularly. You're going to deal with a lot more dropped older leaves. You're going to have to rotate it between different spaces as it outgrows the previous one. And eventually, these things can become unmanageable in a period of months to a year or two, rather than after like a decade or two. I'm thinking about your fiddle leaf fig. Eh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of plants that grow rapidly indoors, but the slow growth of Dracaena marginata is actually one of the barriers of me getting one myself. Mm-hmm. I want one that has spent a decade growing up into my space, but without committing the time that it takes to get to that point. Yeah. If I could just start with a plant like yours, I would, though, be very appreciative of the fact that it won't hit the ceiling after one growing season. It'll take, like, years. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. Um, Just wanted to call that out. I do think there's kind of this other side of that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, how available is this if you're trying to find one? Mm. Wow. Is this possibly the most available plant? I feel like it's in the running. Like, I'm struggling to think of a plant I see more often at any store. Like, if I don't include just plant stores, you include big box stores or like a card shop or kind of like you know, any like that, any time of the year, not just holidays, which, you know, well, that's the point when you're saturated with certain species. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe Haworthia I see more often because they're kind of smaller and cheaper and, you know, more random stores have them. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think that your thoughts on most common plants available for sale is absolutely skewed by your taste in plants because... What do you mean? Well, I never would have thought of Haworthias <laughs> in the top five even. Oh. Um, this is actually true of both of us, though, because we are inevitably going to see the world through our own perspectives. Dracaena marginata probably makes the top 10, but I would have fleshed that list out with like pothos and snake plant and, you know, some of those ones. It is definitely very common, though, in like the four to six inch pot range. Yeah. Perhaps slightly less so as the larger like floor plant size that has that immediate significant presence to start with. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see large ones often. Yeah. That is definitely more the space that Dracaena fragrance occupies in the houseplant world from Mm -hmm. at least what I've seen over the last two and a half decades of paying attention to these things. But that one is also pretty common in small sizes as well. Dracaena marginata is always going to be inexpensive as far as I can see. And it's just as easy to get your hands on the typical form as it is the variegated one. Mm -hmm. So do you enjoy growing yours? Okay, listen, yes, sure. Um, You know, overall, I really think these plants are underrated. You can end up with something surprisingly elegant when they get larger. Mm -hmm. That's how I think of mine. Um, and also for me, this is a serious LTR. It's a very low maintenance one. We're there for each other. We don't interact a whole lot, if that makes sense. I think we both prefer it that way. Um, you know, the passion is mostly gone now. There's a deep respect. I'd be there for this plant if it ever needed anything, like there's a pest outbreak, but it hasn't really needed anything. So I think that's enjoyment. This sounds exactly like a song by St. Motel called Long Distance Relationship, parentheses, LA to New York, that is basically about having a long distance relationship with somebody who lives in your own home. 
Okay. Listen, um, I think that's proof that some people are familiar with this feeling, not just me. Um, I mean, if this plant were to die, would I immediately run out and get another one? Honestly, I'm not sure, just because I like my sort of specimen so much. Mm -hmm. There are other interesting choices now that I'm a more serious plant person, and the slow growth would be daunting. I mean, I know I just said it's a virtue, but like for what I want in this... Yeah, 10 years down the road, it's a virtue. That is a long... Yeah, it's a long... (laughs) road but i really enjoy mine i hope it'll be around for a long time yet so yeah okay now we have a real bombshell matthew you bought one of these recently (laughs) it's a variegated one as well this is a whole new you walk us through it yeah there's a reason i didn't say this until we got to the end of the episode Mm -hmm. and i'm honestly still a little confused about my choice but in my defense this was an impulse buy on a day that i was having massive anxiety and a low-key existential crisis i was wandering through a box store to get some hardware for a project i was working on i check out the houseplants just out of habit and this one just ended up coming home with me i wasn't necessarily experiencing buyer's remorse but i just could not account for why i picked out the variegated one over the standard one Uh i think i was trying to get the same plant that you grow and (sighs) god i i really don't know here we are two weeks later it is already growing on me but i've still never been so confused about why i bought a particular plant wow um Honestly, I thought I was going to hear something about how you came around and made this choice thoughtfully. (laughs) Not that you've never been so confused why you bought a plant. But okay, I can kind of relate. You know, when I was going through Ikea to outfit my house Uh or whatever, I just moved to Seattle. I had no idea who I was or what was happening. So... These plants are here for us at, you know, these dark times. Uh, I don't okay. know. Yeah, I think that I'm most confused about why I picked the variegated one. Um, of, of, Same. Yeah, who even knows what I was thinking. And they're attractive, actually. I think the, you know, this doesn't read variegated in some of the ways that I don't like, like yellows and I don't know. Yeah, and it kind of almost has like this pinky hue to it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was just that sitting among several different plants that were either the standard green or the variegated one. This one just stood out, and it's it's a well-started plant, so I think that that might just be it. Of course, tastes change over time, and you know, mm, listeners who have been around long enough have heard me say some like mean, wicked, nasty things about variegation in general, <laughs> <laughs> and I've not been so positive about Dracaena this whole episode, but my first time noticing this species in particular, and Dracaena fragrance, was actually at the church my family went to growing up because they had several massive pots with enormous Dracaena growing. Uh, well, my childhood memories is like ten to twelve feet tall, but it might have been six for all I know. Like, right? That's how that yeah, works. Yeah, exactly. They had this sort of palm-like tropical, but also deserty vibe. And even though I didn't know what they were at the time, they absolutely stuck out in my memory. I mean, here I am talking about them this much later. But mm-hmm. by the time that I was getting into houseplants myself, the Dracaena at plant shops always looked just completely characterless and generically unappealing, mm. just a sort of dull plant that you could find almost anywhere plants are sold. And they may as well have been artificial for all that they lacked in like character and interest compared to those old, well-grown, dramatic plants that I remembered from church. Wow. Maybe we're uncovering something here. (laughs) Your love for Dracaena marginata is so great. You never hoped to achieve the perfection that you saw as a child. 
Wow. Sitting through Sunday mass. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess, but yeah. Okay. This is, yeah, this is not you hating this plant. Okay. I think we're, we're digging deeper and we're finding something. Okay. Here. This is therapy like usual. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, when you go to shop for these and you see them at a plant shop, they're all just so young that they don't really have any of that characteristic specialness to them. Yeah. One of the challenges with plants that take a while to get to the point that you want them to be at, like peonies that need to be planted in ground for a couple of years before you get quality flowers, or a rare plant that you can only store seeds of, but it's going to take a decade. Keep talking about those peonies. Oh, you know that I love them. <laughs> it's mm. It's just... Hard to justify the initial effort, at least to me, of simply starting something that I know is going to take years before I've reached any level of payoff. Mm-hmm. But as I've watched your dragon tree grow up over the years, it kind of unburdened me of the disinterest I had in just starting that process at all myself. Yours has such a graceful and sparse gesture to it mm. that it absolutely appealed to me in a way that I just hadn't expected. And I just realized. It'll take years to reach that point, so I just need to get that clock started. So that's why I acquired my young Madagascan dragon tree, and I'm just going to be patient. I definitely realized that we would do an episode on them. Just didn't know it would come quite so soon. <laughs> yeah, like five years too early or something. For you. Yeah, pretty um, much. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, you and I tend to be different here as well. Like we've mentioned this before. It seems like you're often kind of racing toward that mature or full or bushy plant. Yeah. I tend to be more interested in like all of the phases of growth of a tiny cutting, you know, as it progresses towards size and maturity, no matter how boring or not that different. Um, yeah, it, it does feel like this plant is more mine somehow. And I will add too, I mean, listen, the 10-year wait, it's not going to be very taxing. You just kind of set it and forget yeah. it, right? Like this is not a needy plant. It's a crock pot just plant. Just put in the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> crock pot plant. Uh, maybe. Set it and forget so, it. Yeah, but... That's any encouragement. But th- that's exactly my thought on it. I want a mature plant with a significant presence. And this is regardless of, you know, with the species or the mature size or form of anything that I'm growing. But I find that I definitely lean towards plants that start out with character and personality, mm-hmm. even in a small, young size. And that plants that look the same everywhere you see it for sale just really do not appeal to me when I'm in the mood to go spend money on plants. Yeah, I I get that. Okay, so now I'm curious, how are you going to care for yours now that you're benefiting from my years of experience and expertise? (laughs) Talk about like the best possible start for you on your Decina journey. (laughs) And do you think you'll enjoy growing it? Well, it's basically just going to be benignly neglected for the foreseeable future. Um, Sounds good so far. Yeah, I brought it home and I just set it in a west window next to a bunch of other plants that want similar conditions. And actually, in between outlining and recording this episode, I repotted it because it came Hmm. absolutely saturated wet. Like, it's it's a plastic pot with drainage sitting inside of a plastic cash pot without drainage, and there was an inch or two of standing water in the bottom. So I let it dry thoroughly over the last couple of weeks. And then I just removed it from the pot. I cleared away the really bark heavy substrate that it was in. And I potted it up with a substrate that's much more typical of my just general low maintenance foliage plants. It has a lot of pumice and perlite added to Mm -hmm. add drainage. There's some richness and compost in there. I used a unglazed terracotta pot 
because I want it to dry pretty rapidly. And even though I know that this is a plant that I will chronically forget to water, okay. I put it next to plants that I do not forget to water, hoping that like that will just encourage me to care for it while I'm also ignoring it. Yeah. Now, because it's in a west window, it also has really good light. And... I'm not holding my breath for the moment that I realize I suddenly love this plant, but I anticipate that it's going to just continually growing on me bit by bit as it continues to grow. By the time it has a few tall, gracefully arching trunks, and maybe some of the side shoots that yours has developed by now, it's going to have some personality finally, and it's going to start to feel like my plant, yeah. instead of just like a generic, ubiquitous thing that you can buy absolutely anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I already appreciate the unique texture and color that it's injecting into my living room. Like, I think it's just like a texture and the pink color that it offers are completely mm -hmm. unlike the Aeroids and Hoyas and everything else that it's surrounded by. Yeah. This might even be a plant that opens up my mind to additional plants that have chronically overlooked when I've looked at them individually at plant shops without considering how they'll work as part of this little like aesthetic and botanical ecosystem that I've been building and growing up for years. Yeah. Uh, well, that sounds like a great start. Maybe we check in around episode 400. Yeah, there might be some developments by that point. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> bon voyage. <laughs> All right. Anything else today? I think that's it. All right. Okay. Well, this has been Plant Daddy Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. And if you enjoy what you've heard, please give us a five-star rating. That'll help others find us. Or support us by checking out our merch shop. You can find the link on our website. If you want to get in touch, email us at plantdaddypodcast at gmail or check us out on social media. Just search Plant Daddy Podcast. Until next week, thanks for listening. And happy growing. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 